Welcome back, everyone. This is The Change Log. We're a member-supported blog and podcast. They cover what's fresh and what's new in open source. You can check out the blog at thechangelog.com and our past shows at 5x5.tv slash changelog. Uh, this show is hosted by myself, Adam Stukoviak, and also Andrew Thorpe. Andrew, say hello, my, my son, my friend. Hey, how's it going, man? <laughs> my, my lips are sticky. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of sticky lips, tune in live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time right here on 5x5. And this is lucky number episode 97. And we're joined by Drew Blass, a DevOps engineer at Chargeify. He's a fellow Rubyist and is starting a DevOps class next month called Ultimate DevOps Academy. So, Drew, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. Andrew, I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you steal this one away today because you, you invited Drew on the show. I, I know he's awesome, but I, I just don't have the, the uptake on him quite as much as you do. Yeah, that's fine. I'll kind of give a little intro. I uh, was out in uh, San Francisco like two or three years ago, and actually went out to uh, to dinner with Lance Wally, Drew, and obviously you know who that is. He's a yeah. guy over at Chargeify. Um, so I reached out to him not long ago and just said, "Hey, is there anyone?" At the Chargeify, I know Chargeify specifically is the core is not open source, but you know you guys are involved in open source. You're very active in open source. Some of the you know pieces of Chargeify have been open sourced. Um, so is there anyone there that would like to have on the show? And then Drew came about. Here I am. So so here you are, Drew. Why don't you give us a little bit of a uh, intro to who you are, uh, what you do at Chargeify? You know what kind of what kind of stuff Chargeify is doing in the open source world? Sure. So. Uh... You know, I joined Chargeify uh, about a year ago, uh, and, and it's been a really great transition for me. Um, you know, I'm traditionally a developer, and with them, uh, I, I've been recently doing a lot of operations work, so kind of bridging some of that gap and focusing on our infrastructure and uh, lets me play with uh, all sorts of cool open source tools. And uh, Chargeify, if anybody doesn't know, does uh, recurring subscription credit card billing, so if you're building your own SaaS app and want easy plug-in credit card subscriptions, uh, that's what we do. And so, you know, we leverage a a lot of of big name open source doing that, Uh, not just Rails. uh, Of course, we're we're heavy uh, users of the Active Merchant Gem. And, uh, and, you know, we work hard to contribute back to as many of the things we use as possible. The cool part about that is that uh, Active Merchant started out as open source too, so y'all use it and then contribute back as well. So yeah, yeah, it's a it's a really good feedback cycle. So specifically with Chargeify, um, I know that obviously the API wrappers are open source, and that's a pretty common thing because you know you release it via you know Ruby, a publicly available Ruby gem. So uh, you know that's a pretty common for a company to open source something like that but but you guys well here why don't you give us a little bit of the uh insight into you know what it looks like to work on the specifically the api wrapper and who in-house works on that and how do y'all manage the uh open source project so you know we've got quite a few open source projects in addition to just the uh wrappers you know we have wrappers obviously for a large number of uh of different languages because uh um, you know, we want to be as compatible as possible. And so, you know, we've always got everybody kind of pitching in to help out and, uh, and maintain those. And of course we can't have a developer in every language. So that's where the open source community at large really, uh, comes in helpful to, uh, work side by side with us and making sure they're up to date and they handle changes that we might make to the API and stuff like that. And uh, so, you know, that's a really good part of it. And then, of course, all the tools that we're using uh, internally, 
we, we try and separate those out into, into pieces that we can then push back out into the community. Um, you know, Shopify did that when they first opened up, uh, the active merchant gem and, uh, uh, you know, so we try and follow a lot of that same sort of philosophy, take any of the pieces we can and then get them back out there. I heard uh, talk just today about about a new one for doing uh, worldwide uh, ISO region um, management for like lists of all the different principalities uh, and things that uh, uh, and integrating that into Rails. So uh, we're always looking for ways we can extract that stuff out. Gotcha. So. That's a like I said. That's a kind of a standard procedure for how some of the companies that um, you know work with open source kind of operate. But you guys do a few things that are different over over at ugh, over at Chargeify. Uh, specifically, you've open sourced um, docs.chargeify.com. Um, so yeah, your whole- that's a that's a really cool one uh, because it. it- Anywhere that we might be lacking, we, we usually get pretty quick feedback for somebody to just go in and throw up a pull request and say, uh, you know, hey, this wasn't explained really well, and uh, or, or here's a better way to explain this, or anytime there's something like that. And then on top of that, we took our actual Cucumber features from, uh, you know, the closed source part of our app and then put them into the docs as well. So the exact same Cucumber feature that says exactly here's how you make an API request and here's what you should expect as a response um, that we run our internal tests against. Those are right there in the docs and they're they're uh, open source and available for, for viewing and editing. Yeah, that's a really neat idea. So where did, do you know where the idea to open source the uh, Cucumber features came from? I don't. It's something that happened uh, really early on and, uh, um, you know, uh, the guys we spawned off of uh, Grasshopper, uh, mm-hmm. which is a, a telephone exchange 1-800 number service. And, uh, uh, you know, again, they were using a lot of, of internal open source tools and just thought it was a, a really good way to kind of be as transparent as possible. Totally, yeah. I I know that you know personally from from my experience. One of the companies that I uh, that I actually helped start with some friends of mine, uh, my buddy Ryan Schlesinger. He was working with not with Chargeify, he's using Chargeify, and um, the he would kind of give back to the, a lot of the projects that he was using, and and I think documentation was one of them. And he always had very very good things to say about the response he got, um, you know, from from his contributions to the open source pieces of Chargeify. So I think that was, you know, uh, a welcome change. I think that at times with some of the bigger open source projects, you can be kind of scared to, you know, get involved because of the, you know, sometimes there's some of that elitist mentality. And and Chargeify definitely, from my experience, has never had that. You guys have always been very open to uh, submissions and and ideas and contributions. So um, is that something that is kind of, you know, how how does that culture get developed in house? Like to be very open to that, you know, uh, company wide. There's two big things I think that contribute to it. The the first one is is easy because uh, you know there's only a couple of us. There's we we have very very little uh, outside funding. Um, you know we're we're pretty much just bootstrapped and and uh, uh, you know expanding with our own profitability. And so 
you know, everybody's kind of really critical to that operation. And so anytime somebody from the outside comes in and offers help, we're certainly more than happy to take it. You know, we're, we're very, uh, <laughs> ironically, very humble in that regard. <laughs> and the other one is, uh, again, because of the small team, we just all really have a passion for, for uh, you know, doing everything we can to, to uh do the best we can for our customers in the community. And, um, you know, that's the attitude you have to have when you have so few people. And so it just comes naturally, you know, I don't feel the, the, I don't feel that I have to, you know, get approval before I turn around and open source something. If I've got a tool I've written on company time and I say, wow, this would be, this would be perfect to open source. I, I just do it. There, there's, you know, there's no red tape to that. Gotcha. Yeah. So speaking of tools that you've written on company time, uh, I know there's, you got, you know, you told me about a bunch of different ideas you had, but specifically one of them that you actually uh, just open source today, I think, right? Did you want to kind of yeah, t- sure. talk so about t- that? Yeah, sure. So today's release is uh, called, it's called Consignment, and it's a, a small web service that basically takes incoming messages and uh, parses them and then redispatches them to other remote services. And so it's just an easy way. I kind of think of it like stats D, but for for data and information as opposed to just numeric metrics. And so you can take things like if you have a cron job and when the cron job finishes and puts out a report and instead of just you know, shooting off an email or something, send it into consignment, and then consignment can look at it, determine what action to take, and then do it. So it might parse the message, see if something went wrong. And then, you know, if something went wrong, it might send a pager duty alert. Or if everything looks okay, it might just save it to a database for later reference. Or it can send emails or or do any number of different things with whatever logic you write. So it's just kind of a centralized way to really easily... um, pop any kind of that information in and then turn around later and set up your rules for how you want to handle those messages. And you don't have to go back to wherever the message came from and keep, keep changing things. Gotcha. So this is a, uh, looks like it's a node project. Is that something that, um, is, is used in house in charge of fire? Is that just like a weekend hack project that you. So, so this is, this is my first, uh, open source node project. And, uh, I did node just because I thought it was the, the simplest way to do, uh, you know, non-blocking. There was going to be a lot of back-end calls to, you know, other remote services calling out to PagerDuty or to an email service and all those things. And, you know, Node just seemed like the right fit to, uh, then you don't have to put those into like a background queue or something. Gotcha. Yeah, it's a fun, it's a fun thing to, uh, to, to hack on for sure. Um, internally though, so, I, you may have said this before. I may have just kind of spaced out on it. But uh, does Chargeify? Um, do you see any any node happening internally with Chargeify, or is there any now? Or well, we're definitely going to be putting uh, consignment into pretty heavy use. There's a lot of a uh, lot of places that I can see it fitting in. It's it, it in the same way like like I said with StatsD. Like you just throw StatsD reporters everywhere. And then later on, decide if they're useful or not, and you can, you know, do your analytics right. in, in Graphite or whatever. It's it's the same kind of thing. Oh, I'm building something, and I might want to do something with this information later, so I'll just throw it out to consignment. And then, you know, it might be six months down the road, and I say, oh, you know, I'd like to start getting an email about these. 
and you can just update consignment and say, hey, start sending me, me an email when this event happens. And so uh, uh, that's going to be really good, I think, on our on our operations front for things like cron jobs and backup reports and chef reports and all that kind of stuff. So this uh, consignment, it's it's brand new, released here on the show today, so that's awesome. But uh, it seems like you were looking for the solution and you didn't find it. Can you kind of tell the backstory on yeah, you know, yeah, you know I just I just asked around. Uh, I always get a lot of success when I uh, tweet out and ask my developer friends. You know, hey, have you guys heard of Service X or something that does this? And uh, you know, I was looking for even a SaaS app that would do it, and I just couldn't find anything that that was quite scratching that itch. Um, you know, this is sort of a it's sort of like a Zapier or an if this then that, but much more developer focused and uh, you know, I had some specific requirements around writing my own code to be able to parse things later on. Uh, just couldn't find anything. So I said, well, I'll just try and throw it together and see what happens. Hmm. Gotcha. So it's a, you, it, it sprung out of a need, sprung out of something that you, you know, like a need. So you said you want to roll that back into Chargeify. So was it, or yeah, so was it specifically a Chargeify need or a need that you had personally on a different project or... I just felt like it's kind of something that comes up a lot anytime I'm I'm doing a new app, whether it's with Chargeify or whether it's you know a personal project or anything, or where this same kind of thing, just like you know StatsD applies in so many different circumstances. That I would just say, "Ooh, it'd be nice if I could just do this with my cron jobs or something like that." And uh, uh, I, you know, it came up so many times that I finally, finally got fed up. And when I couldn't find a solution, uh, I said, well, it shouldn't be too hard to throw something together. So, I mean, uh, the difficulty there was, I think the 20th, this is the 23rd. So on the 20th, you tweeted that out. So basically three days plus a half day. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, if you, if I don't get the answer on Twitter within like a day, you know, it's, it's probably buried and I'm not going to get the answer. So. I figured I hadn't heard any responses, so uh, might, might as well uh, not waste any more daylight. <laughs> gotcha. So another another little project that you mentioned, but I think it's I don't know if you are are working on it and haven't <clears throat> haven't open sourced it or um, if you haven't actually begun working on it. But you you said you called it Auto Cloud. So yeah. So uh, this is the one I'm really excited about, and uh, I'm actually. I'm on a sabbatical right now for a couple of weeks with Chargeify uh, to take some personal time, and my personal coding project will be to convert this for for open sourcing. Uh, it's, it, we use it very heavily internally, and what it does is it's an uh, idempotent control framework for uh, Amazon Web Services. Uh, it replicates a lot of what their internal uh, cloud formation tool does, which is you write basically a description of you know what instances and what security groups and what network settings you want. And then it's responsible for making sure that you actually have those configured and set up and running inside AWS. Uh, but CloudFormation is, is JSON-based with a lot of sort of kludges to get things like fake variables and fake loops and if statements working. And it just made a lot more sense, uh, at least to me personally, to to just take Ruby and 
um, inspect the current state of the network via the API and then make the appropriate changes. And, and that way, when you're writing your description and you say, hey, I want to have uh, you know, 10 instances of this, you can just use a regular Ruby loop instead of, of something weird. And if you want to have them all belong to a single security group, you can use a variable to do that instead of, instead of again, some kind of, of weird foreign pseudo language. So uh, uh, that just fit a lot better with my personal workflow for, for managing things. And uh, it's been a super powerful tool for us. It kind of turns it into a, just like we do at Chef, where everything's identipotent. Gotcha. So this is something that you're using in production at Chargeify now? Yep. It manages uh, you know, all of our launching of instances and making sure you know, we have as many as we want. And if we're going to change a security group... Uh, you know, you just change the configuration file that says, here's what security group X is supposed to look like. And um, it goes and it checks and it says, hey, the security group out on Amazon doesn't quite look like that. Um, uh, let's change it and make it match up. And it's, so it handles all that logic. Gotcha. Is this actually part of the core of Chargeify that you're going to extract out? Or is this uh, some other way that you're using this right now? So it's a it's a separate app. It's basically its own command line tool, kind of like Chef, and so just something uh, that we we run separately, uh, and it, it makes all the uh, API calls to Amazon to do whatever it needs to do. So it, it's already its own tool, but it uh, uh, you know it's got a lot of our custom logic, and a lot of the library code is mixed in with our actual configuration files. So. Uh, it's it's getting those separated so that it can be a more generic tool that, of course, takes a lot of time. Gotcha. So we'll come back to that, but this isn't your first hurrah with uh, building something around Amazon, uh, the Amazon AWS suite. So looks like you've you built the uh, probably the official the unofficial official uh, Ruby wrapper for SES. Is that right? Yeah. So uh, SES when it first came out, uh, I was really excited to use it. And they didn't have uh, a Ruby wrapper for it at the time. So uh, I, I went and wrote one that was specific to it. And, uh, uh, you know, it's been kind of plugging along ever since. Uh, the API hasn't changed a lot and they haven't really added anything new to it. So, you know, it's, uh, it's certainly lived a very uh, long, happy life. And, and eventually Amazon did release their own version into the the major ruby aws sdk but uh, a lot of people still like to to target specifically just ses and not mm -hmm. bring in all those other dependencies so gotcha and ses uh for those that don't know it's amazon's was it simple email service right yep yep yeah, so, so it's just sending you know bulk transactional emails basically similar to like a send grid or yeah, SendGrid or Postmark or Mandrill or any of those. Gotcha. Was that the first uh, open source project you worked on? Uh, no, but it was prob it's, it's one of, I think, the most successful ones I've worked on. So it definitely um, it was picked up really well by the community. Uh, it still gets support requests every once in a while and uh, uh, you know, has had a lot of pull requests some come in. So it's, it's definitely been been uh popular and and you know still requires work to maintain so gotcha yeah one of our previous guests uh mike perham mike perham from uh sidekick he was telling us about how he got involved in open source like you know 20 years ago or something before 
you know, before GitHub and before like Ruby and before before you know, SourceForge, before SourceForge, like he was, you know, he got involved yeah. before there was anywhere to put your code. So it's like nowadays it's hard to imagine, you know, getting started without a tool like GitHub or SourceForge or you know any of the bit buckets out there. So uh, I, I I definitely respect that. So what what was the first? Uh, what what would you say your like intro into open source and and why you you know got started in that realm was? Oh, I've got a, this is a sad anecdote, actually. My, really, my intro into open source was trying to contribute to the Rails core um, way back in the days when they were, uh, they were still on track for their, their mm-hmm. bug tracking and, and uh, their pseudo pull requests. And, and I submitted, uh, uh, you know, patches to the the core for issues that I was having or issues that somebody else had been reported and I offered to fix. Um, and they, uh, I probably did this six or seven times. I'd submit a patch and then six months later, somebody on the core team would finally look at it. And of course, by then it didn't merge cleanly, mm. especially when they were on subversion. So they just come and they'd close it and they'd say, no, it doesn't merge cleanly. Thanks anyway. Um, <laughs> wow. uh, you know, let us know when you fix it. Of course, it worked when I submitted it. But right. uh, uh, so that was kind of a, a, a depressing start into uh, uh, trying to, to help out. And uh, luckily, luckily, I wasn't deterred, though, uh, and, and managed to to keep plugging away at it so well, what if yeah. they would have accepted it though and then uh and then when they merged it because of they don't have like the pleasures of git couldn't like submit it with you you know like the merge like like it does on github you know oh i, I mean Can't i don't get credit <laughs> I, I don't i don't know that i care about that but uh... i mean like getting the point like oh i contributed to xyz you know that that's what i mean like yeah, to, that, to that's that's it. nice too. Although if I if I recall, like back in the uh, uh, early days of uh, uh, there was a script that would check if you had contributed something, like if you had contributed a patch, and it actually checked like the track log to see um, if an issue that you had submitted a patch on had been accepted or something. So there was still a way to see, even if your name wasn't on the actual commit. Gotcha. So the ultimate DevOps Academy. Where did this? Uh, where did the idea to do this come from? So uh, it's just something I had kind of been thinking about for a long time. Uh, uh, you know, I've been doing a, a lot of different things to try and help uh, mentor and, and teach. Uh, I've been trying to get my uh, public speaking chops up. Uh, I was at uh, uh, Mountain. Or, yeah, Mountain West Ruby Comp and uh, several others uh, giving talks and and uh, doing Rails hotline and stuff like that. And so uh, I don't know. I think this just came naturally from that. That uh, it was it was an area where where a class would be helpful and be a little more effective than doing a lot of one on one work. And so uh, I decided to launch the Ultimate DevOps Academy and uh, see if there was anybody interested. Have you got any? Have you got any interest in it early yet? I mean, yeah, yeah. So far, uh, the interest has been really good, and uh, the feedback's been really positive. We still have seats available, though. It starts August twelfth. Um, UltimateDevOps.com, which I thought that was a pretty awesome domain name to still be available. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, 
just goes to show you that DevOps hasn't, uh, you know, <laughs> become too mainstream yet, or else you wouldn't be able to get a domain like that. But uh, so, so yeah, there's still seats available, and uh, uh, you know, I'd love to have more people join up, and um, I'm I'm excited to. Uh, you know, I think it's going to be a good opportunity to reach out to a lot of people at once. And uh, then the the big goal is uh, using the benefit of, of the the uh, paid attendance, which is really paying for my time to do a lot of one-on-one work and help and support that, uh, you know, just like if you need to call me and ask questions and stuff like that. But then it's also going to, I think, generate a lot of, of material uh, you know, lesson plans and everything like that that I can I can turn around and, and give back to the community as well. I was going to ask because we just had the last show. Uh, we had Jesse Wogamot on the show and he runs Ruby Off Rails and part of his huge selling point to that course. So if you're looking to learn Ruby, that's a really good thing because during the process of his course, he's he acts basically as a mentor to you, you know, so seems like you're trying to do the same thing with uh with this to be able to kind of work one-on-one with someone yeah and and uh uh so i'm really excited about it i think it's i think it's going to go off really well and uh starts here in a few weeks and uh by the end of it i'll have a, a ton of you know live videos and lesson plans and and everything and uh so of course six months later it'll all be out of date and i'll have to start all over again but <laughs> that's the life we lead yeah, is are you going to be hitting on Vagrant at all in the uh, course? I am. Yeah, yeah, it'll definitely be a part part of it. Uh, and is, I'm going to try and hit a little bit of everything, but also uh, go pretty in depth. I mean, we're going to take a a pretty decent sized Rails app and turn it into a a complete production environment. You know, so we're not just going to be playing around with little bits and pieces, but we're going to have you know full redundancy. Uh, you know, full operationally sound infrastructure on which you could could run you know serious traffic on and uh you know i think sometimes there's a pretty big gap between the intro tutorials that a lot of people get into and then really being able to to you know batten down the hatches yeah it's a topic that we actually talk about often on the changelog and it's uh, uh, kenneth who you know was potentially going to join us but apparently fell off the earth uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow, we love Kenneth. Um, he he hit on it early, you know, earlier on, you know, a few months ago. He said uh, it's like this tribal knowledge, right? There's this gap between like beginner and expert, and that's like the tribal knowledge region where you just have to kind of throw yourself into the fire and learn as you go. And and uh, it sounds like this is a great step in that direction of helping to share that tribal knowledge in a um, in a you know strategic uh, structured manner. So. Yeah. What would so. you say the level of the? Uh, I guess the, the. I don't know if you're calling them students or not. You're calling it an academy, so I got to imagine they're called students. But registries, people that come and and take the course with you, this intensive. Like, what is the level that they need to be at with DevOps? So I, I would say you should be a, a programmer, and obviously it might be a little easier for Ruby programmers because uh, we're going to be focusing on Chef. Although uh, I kind of make the disclaimer that a lot of this, uh, you know, the lesson plan is is revolved around goals. So doing things like your goal is to, you know, write 
uh, an automation script that gets you to a certain state. And you could do that with Puppet or you could do it with Ansible or SaltStack or whatever. Uh, so it doesn't have to be Chef, but, uh, you know, uh, obviously I'm going to teach what I know best. And um, so it should be developers who, who have programming experience and, uh, you know, maybe don't have the, the operation chops that they like. You know, uh, which which I think comes up a lot. You you get developers who can write lots of great code, um, and that's great when you have no customers. But then you turn around the next day, and your app's really popular. And now your problem isn't writing your new features. The problem is keeping things running and uh, you know scaling and expanding for the users that you have. I gotta uh, take a little chuckle though publicly on your second line on knowledge prerequisites for the course. Uh, it says highly recommended to be able to read, understand, and write simple Ruby programs. But then you also put in uh, parentheses, work through tryruby.org at least twice. That was a, <laughs> a cool one. Well, I mean, I guess I don't want to scare anybody <laughs> away, but uh, um, uh, I don't know. So so, so that's tough. I, 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 I'm sure I'll have a wide variety of, of ability levels. And, you know, it's, it's certainly, I, I make no bones that it's my first time doing a course in this fashion. I've taught a lot of in-person courses uh, before, but never, never an online one. And so, you know, I'm going to have to take, take, a, uh, take stock of, of the people in the class. And, and some of them might have it easy and some of them might need more help. And, uh, you know, I'll just have to, have to help where, where I need to. So the the class is going to be uh, is it twice a week or what is the well it's it's one lesson a week and what what I'll be doing is I'll I'll record I'll record the video um, I'm actually working through like doing some test recordings this week um, and and then put the video out and and kind of go in a pseudo live fashion alongside with the students. So, you know, if we need to, to stop and talk about things or whatever, we can. But then they've also got the, the whole video to refer back to. So it's one lesson per week, but we're going to have multiple, um, you know, live chat and, and uh, live audio sessions to, to talk about what's going on and answer questions. Gotcha. So the first, the cost of this class is 999 so it's definitely an investment, but one that's... Uh, worthwhile, but after the initial um, course, you said you mentioned that you potentially would like to release like uh, open courseware. I think, as you put it, yeah. So, um, so you know, what I'll, what I'll probably do is is um, try and package together um, a good portion of it and and uh, you know release it for for free use and uh, you know help as many people as I can. I, I mean, there's no use in me holding on to it and keeping it to myself. And like I said, you know, it'll be outdated in a year. So, uh, right. uh, you know, let's, let's make use of it while it's, while it's still good stuff to have. Any plans to do something like, uh, for those that are familiar with like a Ruby cones, something like that to kind of step somebody through enlightenment of, of DevOps, not so much Ruby itself, but DevOps. Um, you know, I think it'd be a really good idea. I, I, I bet a lot of this uh, might do the same thing in the, in the goals from the lessons. And uh, we'll just have to see how, how it goes. Uh, uh, I definitely have my work cut out for me just for this. So uh, 
I'm pretty focused on it. Well, if you're listening now or on the podcast and you plan to go to this, give Drew some slack. It's his first time go around, so share some grace. Yes. <laughs> so. Well, cool. It sounds really uh, sounds like it's going to be a fun time. Uh, it's ultimatedevops.com to plug that for you. Uh, definitely good luck with that. hope it uh, turns out to be incredible for you. Yeah, thanks very much. Kind of wanted to roll back into the uh, uh, auto cloud that we were talking about before. Um, when you guys are sitting around in, in Chargeify, uh, we may have kind of touched on this, but uh, what it was this something that you wrote uh, that you spent like I don't know what your you know process or what your internal team you know how your roles are split up or anything, but was auto cloud something that you kind of rolled mostly yourself, or was this a, a team project or internally now? Um, it was just kind of something that came out of my personal needs. Uh, it wasn't like an initiative that was dictated from the top or anything like that. It was just, um, you know, we make very, very heavy use of automation for for managing the individual servers. And it's a lot like test-driven development. Once you get into that um, code as configuration sort of mindset for your systems, um, it kind of felt it felt wrong to be going into the uh, you know the Amazon management console to make a security group change right. or or manually writing an individual API call to launch a new instance and it was like these are the types of things that just like with with uh, when you're doing chef or puppet that you you want to have in a repository and that way you know you've got a log of the changes. Hey, on this date, I added this rule. On this date, I added uh, five new servers to this auto-scaling group. You know, all these kind of things. And then you've already got, you've always got a very authoritative source for for what's going on, not just on your individual servers, but on your infrastructure as a whole. And uh, so, you know, it's it just seemed like a very good complement to that. And when we didn't have anything like that, it, you know, it kind of, it feels wrong. You can feel it in your gut. Yeah, it's uh. So, you're you said you're on like a sabbatical from Chargeify right now. Is that for to work on Ultimate DevOps, or are you going to work on AutoCloud, or what? What are you doing on your sabbatical? As you put it, uh, it's well, it's a really long vacation. Just so uh, uh, you know, doing a lot of family things, and also just taking some time to you know, code on whatever I want to code with, with, you know, kind of no uh, deliverable milestones hanging over my head and, and work on what interests me or play with things. <laughs> um, the big one for me lately is I've been working through the uh, Matasano security challenges. Yeah. Um, and those are, are super fun. And after I did them the first time, I went back through and I rewrote all of them in Go. So, uh, again, just, you know, fun ways to do cool things in, in programming that I don't get to do every day. And yeah. so that's what I'm doing with my spare time. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, with Mitchell, uh, Hashimoto, we've had him on the show from Vagrant. Uh, we've had Solomon Hikes just a few weeks ago on the show from dot cloud and Docker. Um, you know, Mitchell was, he, he built Vagrant out of a need internally he had for, 
uh, I can't remember the company he was at, but they had a need for it. And, um, and he worked on it, and then it became really popular. So he left his company, in his case, and, uh, you know, in good, very good graces and everything, but left to, to work on Vagrant full-time. Uh, Solomon Hikes today, he was the CEO of DotCloud, and um, they started Docker. And he today announced that he hired a CEO to replace himself so that he could become the CTO and focus full-time on Docker. Um, Smart. Yeah, I mean, it's and he's very excited about it. So it's big news, and you know, I think the whole community could could be excited about that to know that uh, that you know Docker is taken off and it's going to get some big legs behind it to go you know even even harder in development. So let's yeah. say Auto Cloud kind of starts to take off in the same mold and you know becomes a bit a real popular tool, and and Chargeify says you know we'd love for you to kind of lead this project up specifically and and maybe not even work on the Chargeify core anymore. Would you welcome? something like that is that something that would interest you or uh it definitely would um but you know i i don't know it's it's not quite in the same league like i mean personally docker is one of the is i'm such a huge fanboy of docker and um you know i'm waiting with bated breath for the day that they stick a production ready label on it um Mm -hmm. so that i can start i you know replacing huge swaths of our infrastructure to use it um but you know i i think auto is quite quite a bit simpler of a tool than that you know it's not it's not on the same level as something like chef it's it's smaller and um you know it doesn't even necessarily need full time um you know, work on it or improvements because, uh, you know, I mean, really all it's doing is, is just making one configuration match another configuration. Mm -hmm. And I I hope to just have it kind of grow naturally. And as somebody, you know, we have it built to do security groups. And then tomorrow, if somebody says, oh, I'd like for it to be able to manage you know some other aws component you know then they can add that and then the next day if somebody says oh i wish this would work for rackspace cloud instead um well great i I hope uh you know we can make that happen too but uh um yeah and that, that, that's, that's the, the path that the you seem to see a lot. And I can I think that's kind of why I was asking is because they start off as, you know, these a lot these much smaller projects and they kind of grow into these when they kind of get grow in popularity then people say, "Well, this is awesome, but I just want to mold it a little bit to use it, you know, in this way." And it starts to kind of take off and grow uh grow legs and become a a whole different monster. So yeah. um that's the beauty of open source software though. That's, you know, with Vagrant, he was, Mitchell was telling us that, you know, different um, images, you know, he's had community support to write different, you know, support for different images. And it was, a you know, I mean, that's the beauty of it. You don't, it's not all on you to do everything. And, um, you know, you can just kind of manage people that as they need different pieces, they can kind of get, get them in there. So that's the beauty of open source, man. That's why we do what we do. Plus, it's nice to have people who like using the things that you wrote. Well, yeah, definitely. It's also, it's nice for people to tell you how awesome you are. Yeah. (laughs) Say it again. All right. So everyone that uh, listens to the changelog uh, knows that we kind of ask two questions on every 
every uh, guest that we have on there. And the the first one I'll ask you, Drew, to kind of to uh, get your input on is for a call to arms. So uh, whether it's something with Chargeify or something that you know you've worked on specifically, um, you know, with DevOps or uh, consignment or, or anything like that, do you kind of have a call to arms where you would love to see the open source community get involved and help out with something? Um, you know, the the honest truth is, I I just like to to have more people contributing overall. Like, um, you know, there's so many open source projects um, out there that need help, uh, especially the smaller ones. And I think a lot of people use more of them than they realize. You know, just like if you go through your gem file and look at how many uh, little gems that you might use on a regular basis and who have authors who, you know, need help or, or need new features or have issues. Um, it's so easy to find those. And thanks to the, the wonder of GitHub, you know, help find an open issue and, and do a pull request for it. And I think there's still lots of developers who get intimidated or, or um, you know, just don't get involved. And, and uh, there's so many easy paths to it. And I, there's a lot of great, I wish I knew the name, but there's a lot of great services out there now that, uh, will help you uh, uh, find open issues um, For projects on, you care open, about. on projects you care about to, to be able to jump in and uh, uh, help out. So, you know, I say the call to arms is do something. Yeah, uh, so don't that's, just sit on the sideline. That's something that we talk about a lot on the changelog is, you know, people, when I go to, you know, uh, conferences or just like my local Ruby groups and, People ask me a question like, how do I get involved with open source? What do I do? I'm like, just find something you care about and just start doing it. It's like, you know, find a project that you care about and, and go and look at their issues and start start contributing code. And you find that the majority of times um, when you when you get involved, when you, you know, try to start getting involved, the community is very supportive and very helpful. And if you're, you know, honest about, you know, this is my first time getting involved with open source. Uh, not that they hold your hand, but they, you know, it, you just find it's a pretty welcoming community. And most projects that are very active in open source, they kind of have their guidelines and their standards and what you should or shouldn't do when contributing to open source. So, like you said, we just tell people just just start, just start doing. That's yep. that's kind of the key. And the truth of the matter, I think, and almost universally, but especially on bigger projects, um, I know the Rails core team has said this many times in the past, is what most open source projects need is not somebody who like knows the internals to go and code a solution. What they need is a secretary. Like They need help from the community to look at open issues and try and reproduce them. Like mm -hmm. somebody will open an issue and say, here's my problem. And it sits there because nobody knows like what the real cause is. So what they really need is like, hey, look at it. If there's not enough information, respond to the original poster and, you know, ask for the information or try to reproduce it yourself. Follow the steps and then see if you can dig a little bit deeper than the person before you did. And, you know, kind of unlock the key so that one of the core developers can just, you know, knows exactly what he needs to do to fix it sort of thing. So all that triage and just that user interaction and and that's all, you know, that's all you have to have is a grasp of the English language. 
um, you know, you don't have to know the internals of the project you want to help out. Yeah, it's, that's certainly an easy way to, to kind of, I mean, that's kind of how we handle bugs at, at Pure Charity, Andrew. I mean, we do the same thing. We report bugs, and the very next step is to validate them. It's the same case here. It's like, you know, you're reporting an issue. It's it's a bug with the, the project or whatever, but that's pretty neat. So we um, the, you weren't on the last show, Andrew, but uh, I started to ask this new question. I thought it was kind of neat, but uh, it doesn't always apply, so it's not always like your exact every show question, but I figured for Drew it might uh, it might make sense. So, Drew, if you weren't programming in Ruby, what would you be programming in? Um, I, the tough part is there aren't many languages that I don't enjoy. Um, you know, it's, every new language comes out, I go, boy, I wish I could just do that all the time. (laughs) Um, so, you know, I, I wish for the perfect language that did whatever I want. Um, I'm lately, I'm a really big fan of Go and I've also been trying to, uh, you know, just spread out into into just about anything. So that's exactly if what you, Jesse said last week too. When I asked the question, he's like, "I want to, I want to learn Go." Yeah, <laughs> that's two in a row. It, if you kind of like uh, Ruby and but you you know you all, it, like what I found because if Ruby and Go both are kind of like interesting to you, Steve Klabnik, who you know most people know, we 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 have him on the show every once in a while. He uh he's a big proponent of Rust, the uh, new-ish Mozilla language that. Uh, is out and I encourage people to check it out. It's a really cool. It's a really cool. It's got a uh, book on it too, doesn't he? Yeah, it's like an ebook that um, is in constant development because the language is so young and constant flux. But yeah, yeah. Uh, Rust definitely worth checking out too. I, I've you know I read a lot of the theory behind Rust and it really resonated with me. And mm-hmm. of course, just like every other language I read, I go, "Yes, this sounds like a wonderful idea." <laughs> That's and, funny. I uh, thought I was the only person that that happened to, and I thought there's something wrong with me because every time I read a uh, something about a new language, I'm like, "This is it, the perfect language," but yeah, it, so, it's never the perfect language. Never. Yeah, so so. Rust, I think, if it starts getting the same kind of traction that uh, that Go has been getting lately, um, I'll definitely take a bigger interest in it. Gotcha. So our last, uh, I guess, standard question that, as you called them, Adam, which I think is a, a good way to describe them, is for a programming hero. So someone you want to give a shout out to, Drew. Sure. Um, you know, Everybody that I, I meet in the at conferences and everything is is so uh, you know are always so genuine and so very nice. It's it's really it shocks me all the time. But uh, you know, a couple stand out in my mind: James Edward Gray, uh, who who lives pretty close to me in uh, in Oklahoma, and uh, he's a really awesome guy, and he uh, definitely does a lot of contributing to open source. Um, and Evan Light is a, a good friend of mine, so a shout out to him. And uh, he just joined uh, Basho, and he's going to be doing some <laughs> Erlang hacking. So I'm pretty for excited for him about that. And uh, my boss at Chargeify, Michael Klett, he's a pretty cool guy too. So uh, he he definitely knows how to uh, have a cool culture that you want to work for. So uh, quick plug, Chargeify is hiring if anybody... Uh, Ruby on Rails devs, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I think, was it, was Evan Light, he's the one with the, he was very open about a lot of the personal stuff that he was going through. Yes, uh, yes, that's correct, so. Yeah, I remember uh, reading through his stuff and just was, uh, incredibly taken back by his candor and, um, 
I mean, yeah, he's uh, he's a man with a, a bigger heart to, uh, you know, he's tested every single day. And uh, so my heart goes out to him for sure. Yeah. Great guy, though, for sure. Absolutely. Cool. I guess uh, I guess since we're done with these standard questions, we can go with the standard close of the show. <laughs> uh, no, and Drew, it was it was good having you on the show. I I uh, I knew uh, Andrew lined up a good show when he had you on, and we're big fans of Chargeify. I, I think the story of Chargeify, for those listening that may not know it, I mean, y'all have a pretty wild story with how you kind of grew out of Grasshopper Labs, and um, I just think the story of the last five years of Grasshopper and, uh, or sorry, um, Chargeify has been really, really cool. So, yeah, it's, you know, for, for, we're kind of in part of the old guard, ironically, being only five years old, but, uh, you know, that's a long time in this world. And, uh, um, you know, so we've got that and we've, we've kept it, kept it small. And, uh, um, you know, it's really, it's really been a good ride for us. So we're really happy with that. Hey, you mentioned on the show too, like, uh, I think closer to the middle somewhere in there, but you mentioned how you guys grow organically based on, you know, your actual company's growth. And it's just something I've seen, you know, from you guys and have just always been, um, taken back by that and always respected the way that you've approached the market and approached growth of the company too. And, uh, the Michael that you mentioned as one of your heroes at Chargeify, is he one of the old guards? Because I remember somebody named Michael I met a while ago. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, he was uh, back with Grasshopper, yeah. and he, he basically is is the first man to uh, to code on Chargeify back when it was still a, a Grasshopper internal product. Yeah, Michael and um, I met up at, uh, uh, at a Future of Web Apps back in 2008, so I, I know for sure that was, yeah, that was 2000, no, that was 2010. 2010 we met up so, so yeah it's uh it's a nice it's a nice attitude and it uh you know it's it lets us kind of guide our own ship and uh uh lance uh the who's the ceo he's uh you know a very genuine very open guy um uh, you know he just he, he plays with his hand on the table and uh it's very refreshing yeah, all that this to say because you mentioned the jobs there. So if you're listening to the show, I mean, great place to work. So if you're a Rubyist or want to work on on their stuff, uh, head on over and say hello. But uh, this has been episode 97 of the Change Log. We're almost to 100, Andrew. Can you believe that? So close. No, yeah, we need to have a big party or something. So close. We'll have to have like an all-day Change Log or something like that. You know, for, for episode 100 <laughs> or something, we'll have to do something like all. Nobody day. wants to listen to us talk that much. All day live, nothing but the Change Log, <laughs> all open source, all live. But uh, thanks, Drew, for coming on the show. Let's uh, let's all say goodbye. All right. Thanks so much, man. See ya.